Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rehash, a Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen. And on this episode, we're speaking with David Phelps, co-founder of Joke Race, about fun ways to gamify governance and his biggest takeaways from recent conferences he attended, like DevConnect in Istanbul and Art Basel in Miami on the current state of crypto and what we should be focusing on in this space in the near future. This is David's second appearance on Rehash and will be a bit of a sequel to the first one. So if you're not familiar with David or with Joke Race, please pause this episode and go back and listen to season three, episode two from September 15th, 2022 for context on what you're about to hear in this episode. For any returning listeners who have helped select our podcast guests in the past, you're already well-versed on what Joke Race is, but for any new listeners tuning in, Joke Race is a contest platform for communities to make, execute, and reward decisions. Rehash has been using Joke Race since its early days to help decide which guests appear on the podcast, and you can learn more about that on our website at rehashweb3.xyz. Speaking of which, our next round of guest nominations will be starting right after the holidays in early January. So make sure you're following us on socials and subscribe to us on Mirror or Substack to make sure you don't miss out on any announcements on that front. In this episode, we start off by getting some updates from David on Joke Race, both in terms of new features that have been launched, as well as features that he announced in his previous episode that have proven to be less successful than expected and why he thinks that might be. We then get into some of his biggest learnings and takeaways from DevConnect in Istanbul last month, as well as Art Basel in Miami last week. David shares his thoughts on where the state of crypto stands today as he sees it and where it's headed. We had DeFi summer back in 2020, followed by the NFT craze, followed by a bit of a DAO summer. And I asked him which areas he thinks the next big wave will focus on. He also mentioned some other takeaways on privacy tech, user data, why Solana has been getting so much hype lately, and most importantly, all the street cats he met in Istanbul. David was not in fact nominated for the season of Rehash, but has graciously agreed to fill in for a guest who has become ill and is unable to record with us. And once again, please go back and check out David's first Rehash appearance, Season 3, Episode 2, which remains our most downloaded episode to date. So without further ado, here is my conversation with David, and I hope you enjoy. I thought we were recording. I just gave you all my best jokes. Now you're out? You're out of content already? I'm out of content. I mean, you know, this is a last minute, you know, special appearance. I only have like an hour to put content together. Rough start. But thank you for being here. Thank you for jumping in last minute. First thing, I wanted to get some updates from you on Joke Race, which back in our last episode, which is September 15th, 2022, and we're airing this on December 14th, 2023. So it's almost exactly a year and three months or... 15 months, I guess, as you like to say, with babies and puppies and things like that. I like to multiply by the number of days, actually, you know, personally. But yes, go for it. Let's see how good your mental math is. How many days has it been? It's about 450. But if you add in like the one seven, it's probably about 457. How'd I do? I don't know. I can't do mental math. I don't have a calculator on me. So sure. I think that sounds right. But to give us a little bit of an update. You were called Joke Down in the last episode. You've now rebranded to Joke Race. You pitched a bunch of ideas on our previous podcast episode that have actually come to fruition, which is pretty cool. Like you pitched using Joke Race contests to decide what to build next, which Aragon has done this to help build out their roadmap. And then we also discussed, this is one of my favorites, the downloading feature, which you just launched 
when we recorded our last episode in September, and now you're getting rid of it. Yeah, Alpha Week may or may not be getting sunsetted. Well, we have a strict policy not to actually announce anything that we're going to do ever, because (laughs) then we're beholden to it and people's timelines. And so we like to surprise people. I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal this. We actually announce everything a week after we've launched it. I don't know if I'm allowed to admit that. So Now that I've got it on air, everyone's going to know. But tell us the thinking behind potentially sunsetting the downvoting. Oh, 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 God. Yeah, this is the part of the episode you want to cut. So sorting logic in order to reward thousands and thousands of people and track them within a smart contract in terms of how they perform is a challenging thing to do. And then there's a psychological level where this has been a contentious feature. Because yes, well, you can downvote somebody and that is powerful if you want to prevent them from being number one. You could also take those same votes and just vote for the number two. And so really trying to focus on like, how do we create a proactive positive platform where the only way that you can have impact is by doing something actually proactive positive. You don't like an idea, submit a better one. You don't like an option, vote for a better one. And really trying to focus on it being a positive experience so that people aren't checking and seeing that they're hated by the ecosystem. I think it's also important to us as well. Yeah, it's interesting because Rehash has actually used the downloading feature. and Well, now they can still downvote, but they're upvoting for other people instead. Same effect. Same effect. Do, do listeners know what contests are? Do they have any idea what Joe Grace is? Or are we just making this for like the Joe Grace Maxis? Like, should we tell them? Yeah, yeah. you can tell oh, them. It's a sequel. It's you a sequel. What, so the, go yeah. listen to part one. Part one, you already gave the ba- whole background about your life story. We set up the whole the whole narrative exposition, you, the dramaturgy, yep. all the characters are involved, exactly. and now we're setting them up for the the big cosmic battle. But like, we're not so going to. This right, is called right, rehash. Right. So, it feels weird not to rehash what we did. You know, like, let's rehash it. Okay, rehash it. Okay, so 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 the the fun collusion piece of this is like rehash is the first actual I would say business that was built on top of us, where Joe Crace is the way that the community has coordinated to be able to pick these podcast episodes with the exception of certain, you know, figures who just randomly appear when a guest cancels. But I've heard, is it true that you are also involved in another contest that is going on right now? It might be a good way to explain (laughs) how this platform works. It is true, yes. Oh my God, it is. I'm so excited to hear. Let me tell you, I know you you don't have a lot of background on this, so let me just explain to you real quick. We launched a contest through Arbitrum DAO to award grants to the most deserving projects built in Arbitrum. The that hope is like the to coolest use case of all time. Tell us more. To- totally different from the rehash use case. This is actually going to deploy money to projects that are doing really cool stuff that are building on top of Arbitrum. So in the this new one year, has money, run... so you know it's not it's not rehash. Absolutely, absolutely not a rehash project. Yeah, keep no going. attack vectors in this in this <laughs> one. But starting in the new year, we're running eight weeks of grant giving. Every week, we're going to have a different theme. You can nominate yourself, your own project to receive a grant from that week if you fall within the theme. Every week we're deploying 10,000 Arbitrum, which is worth approximately 10,000 USD to four of the most deserving projects. So 2,500 to each project. You can also apply for multiple rounds. So potentially receiving more than 2,500 over the course of those eight weeks. And I'm just really excited to see which projects get funded. The hope is that we can discover some smaller projects that are building really cool stuff that people don't already know about and that can make a big impact in the Arbitrum ecosystem. Wow, so this is probably the coolest and greatest thing I've ever heard in my life and that anyone has ever told me. 
But I guess my question is, why why use Joke Race? Like, why is Joke Race the platform for this, Anna? Joke Race is the perfect platform for this. Wow. Because it allows people to An submit. An even greater thing that I heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it allows people to easily submit their nominations. So, for example, they can nominate themselves. And <laughs> the community can vote on which projects they think are most deserving. So it's a totally democratic process it gets the community involved and they can get rewards I mean, through this contest platform like the, the people submit and then they vote and then there's also rewards for this as well exactly wow exactly. this sounds like the greatest greatest product ever it sounds like it's probably probably justifies you know <laughs> creation of all life forms in the history of the world is, is what it sounds like to me this yeah. is how yeah. the Okay, we're yeah. going to be birthing babies through joke race in the future. Yeah, this is why we need longevity, is so that people have more time to play a contest on joke race. This is the case. This is it. Tell us about this new executability function that you guys have built into joke race, where now you can actually execute things through the voting results. Yeah, so the beauty of this is we didn't build it. It's permissionless, so anyone can build it. So because we're fully on-chain, one, one of the great benefits of being on-chain is that you can have the result of a contest trigger in action. So HATS is really the one to talk about here. They're the first team that has built a module on top of us so that the result of a vote triggers an action. So HATS is a, a wonderful project that does role-based NFT. So like, say that you had an election and people said, who should be secretary of our organization? Someone is elected, they win. If you plug in that contest, take a URL, go over to Hats, plug it into their site. When you win that contest, you will then automatically get a Hats NFT that gives you all the rights associated with that for being secretary of that organization. So it could give you decryption rights to then join Google Docs or to join Dropbox or Slack, etc. Like whatever's entailed in that, you now have. And so you can imagine people can build these modules on top of us. So the results of contests of, of, of votes can then trigger actions across all services in Web3. So all you have to do is be able to read the metadata from whatever is submitted. So you can imagine, hey, the winning hackathon uh, project is actually a smart contract. It's been executed. You can imagine, hey, the winning, we're going to have a contest for best new artwork. That one is then minted and can be collected as well. We're going to have a contest in like what project we want to support with funds. The funds are automatically deployed to that project when it wins. We're going to have a contest on who should join our multi-sig. Whoever wins that is then added to the multi-sig. We're going to have a project on like what grants are going to be featured on Giveth or Gitcoin. And then you use us to select which grants. Those are automatically featured. We're going to decide what projects appear on the homepage of another site. You can basically imagine that joke rates can become what I would like to think of as like decision layer of the internet, where anybody makes these decisions as a community and they automatically execute across all the other services. And we're almost like a gateway platform where we can drive people to all these other services, almost like plugins on top of us and totally enable the actual possibility of Web3 composability. Are you still awake? I've got my coffee here, so I'm good. Thank God. Okay. Is this something that you need an engineer, you need somebody technical to build? Or is the hope that in the future you guys will have no code modules that anybody can plug and play into their ecosystem. Yeah, so, so services need to build these because it, it is on-chain execution where they're reading the metadata and then that is enacting whatever they want on top of it. But we're no-code smart contract deployment tool technically. So when you're creating contests, you're actually creating and deploying a smart contract with whatever parameters you set. And the same thing is true here, right? Hats had to go and build this module because they also have an on-chain service that they have developed. But you as a user can just take the URL, go over to their site and plug it in. You don't need to know code. You don't need to be able to develop that out yourself. Zora can build on top of us. Gitcoin can build on top of us, right? All of these different projects can build these modules so that we can then 
drive people to them, and they can open up much, much more to community decentralization and, and letting community make decisions as well. Before starting Rehash, I was a solo creator for many years, and I often felt disconnected and lonely despite doing something I loved. With Rehash, I was seeking more connection and set out to create a community-generated podcast. Since then, I've made genuine connections with community members and fans by co-creating the show. That's why I'm so excited about Lore's launch on Base. Lore is an all-in-one platform for communities to bring their members and their funds on-chain. From there, communities hang out in a forum, crowdsource decisions, and make transactions together. Now, it's easier than ever to fund and co-create media initiatives like Rehash. Go to lore.xyz to kickstart your community initiative today. What new use cases would you like to see for Joke Race? I mean, that you've built out so many new ones since we last spoke in September 2022, but... I know you're always thinking about new use cases. Yeah. So the Eigenlayer contest that it recently really kind of opened my eyes up where I've been focused a lot on the kind of use cases that you and I've talked about so far, where lots of people submit options and then like a jury, the NFT holders or the core community, they vote, right? And Eigenlayer switched it. And they basically said, hey, there's going to be eight projects that we're going to allow us to compete with each other about what token we support. And then their holders can come and vote. So their job is to go get their community to come and participate in this contest. They have to go and market us, Eigenlayer, to their community. And meanwhile, those projects are getting a lot of traction as well because if they get supported by Eigenlayer, that's a big deal for them too. So it's like double-sided marketing, right? And this is like massively successful. They had 29% participation rate. They had like 14,000 people that voted within a week. It was like 3% of Mantle's daily transaction volume. So it's like one out of 30 transactions was from this single contest on a chain. And you think about like what they did, it's like, yes, that's governance, sure. Like that's them making a big decision about what token they're going to feature. And it's a big protocol decision. It's also kind of a game show. Like it's eight contestants who are competing against each other and then everyone from home is voting. And so I think there's like a lot of possibilities to really lean into that where you can have leagues of people who are all competing with each other and then everyone is voting from home. So you can imagine Shark Tank on chain, right? People are pitching judges, but actually everyone from home votes in their favorite projects. You can imagine The Bachelor on chain. Everyone's competing, and then the audience of home votes who gets to stay or who's voted off each week as well. And you can use that kind of gamification to do all sorts of things. You can use that with art contests or music contests and use this to really promote musicians and let them compete in a way that they get in front of a wide audience. And honestly, I've, I've spoken a lot against tokens. It's a cool use for tokens as well as, as a utility token, that like, hey, you want to be involved in the show that you're watching every week, get the token, and then that's going to give you more votes in terms of like the, the say that you have over who's going to win this. So I would love to see recurring game shows built. Like, I think that that would be like a really, really exciting thing to build. I absolutely love that idea. As an avid watcher of Love Island, where you get to text in who you want to vote off the island, I think that's such a fun idea. And this way you get to see the results live too, right? Because if I'm texting in like... Yeah. I want to vote David Phelps off the island. I don't know what everybody else is thinking, you know? Yeah. And so with this, I can see I'm like, everyone hates David or like everyone loves David. I'm the only one that thinks he should be voted off. Right. And if you vote earlier, then that might persuade other people because they see in the UI that this is a more popular option, right? There's all these kind of games you can play in terms of like, when do I vote, et cetera. That can get really fun with it too. The other thing too that just came to mind is your new comment feature. Again, like if I'm voting David off the island and everybody else disagrees with me, they can comment under my vote and say like, what the heck? Why? What's wrong with you? Like, why do you want David off the island? And we can kind of have this conversation and that can influence the votes as well. 
you can start to collaborate with each other and be like, hey, please don't vote David off and I won't vote your person off either. And that way we can exactly. get David to the final final episode, right? That would probably be me writing that comment in particular under <laughs> another wall. That's right. You're like, I love David. Oh, David's 100%. Great. Yeah, I have no about? doubt. He's so fun and perfect and smart. Yeah, why do you want to vote him off? And you're like, I think I know that world address. So that's one that I'd be pretty excited by. I think citizens journalism is something I've been thinking a lot about. Nick Carter did this like really amazing kind of experiment where he put out bounties to say, let's actually debunk this bullshit that Elizabeth Warren is saying about terrorist funding from crypto. And let's actually get real analytics on it. So I'm going to have people go out and actually report the truth of what's going on. And you can imagine, you could build an entire citizen's journal off of us where the readers are deciding about articles they want to see and voting on that. Um, but they're also getting to actually produce material. Journalists right now, when they want to get firsthand info, they have the same sources that they always call. But like you could actually get stuff from on the ground reporting and saying, hey, we're really looking for videos from this particular event at this particular time. If you have them, please submit them here and then we'll vote up our favorite ones and we'll write about it or we'll feature it or give us your best analytics. And, and you can start to crowdsource a lot more info that is actually a lot more representative of what's going on on the ground as well. And so that's a business I would really love to see too. Gamified hackathons is one that I, I've, I've been thinking a lot about where right now the way that hackathons work is very web too. The hackathons are basically siloing data to sell it to advertisers. That's a hackathon model. It's the same model as Facebook. It's the same model as every traditional Web2 platform. People sign up for a hackathon. They share a ton of data about themselves. That is kept off-chain as it should be because it's very private information. And then that is basically given to the sponsors of the hackathon. And what sponsors are doing is they're not even a lot of times looking for the best project to be built. They're looking for data about devs. And that's what they're paying for in these scenarios. It leads to this issue where they're not putting in a lot of money and they're not putting on a recurring basis a lot because they just want data one time and then they can reach those people directly. So they're not putting in a lot of money and devs aren't getting a lot of money and they're not really incentivized to participate. And we're moving towards this world where more and more devs can come up with incredible projects that they can monetize in like three, four days, right? You look at like what Miguel or DC Builder, like these incredible figures are doing and they can just deploy stuff in a few days as a project that's quite meaningful. So you can imagine, like, what if there was a hackathon that's gamified? What if we actually said, screw the Web 2 model? There's a whole way of doing this on Web 3 where you earn reputation and credentials and rewards by participating. So you start at, like, the Layer 0 hackathon where everyone can participate in it. And then you go up to Layer 1 where only the, you know, top 50 winners of the previous one can participate. And then you create the MBA. It's like, by the end of eight months, you have this really top-tier hackathon with the really top-tier devs who've earned all these credentials, and they're all battling each other as well and getting judges to vote for them. And the thing is, like, even if you don't win these things, you're still getting attestations every time someone votes for you. If Vitalik votes for you in a hackathon, even if you lose that, that's really meaningful as an on-chain credential of its own, right? And so everyone's able to earn reputation. They have massive incentive to be there, both because the reputation is great, but also because sponsors are going to put in a lot more money when they know the devs are good. When they know that you can get to that top-tier ranking, and you can gamify this, you can create this whole ecosystem for, for devs as well. So that's something that I'd really like to see. I, I think I'm allowed to say Mode is about to, to do a really cool hackathon with us as they go to market. Wonderful L2, some other big projects that I can't announce yet. And then the final thing I'll say is there's just a lot of ways where 
if you think about votes as points instead of voting in whoever the number one winner is, you think about it as like just an expression of preference. Then there's all sorts of cool things that can be built too. Because you could build dating apps based on, you know, the fact that people have voted in similar ways over and over time. You're like, you should probably know this other person. You have a lot in common. Like you have really, really shared taste, right? And that's interoperable. But you could also say, hey, we have an NFT collection and we're deciding on the 10 traits that we want for this NFT. Or we're training a new AI bot uh, and we're trying to figure out what data sets to train it on. So you put out 10 options for traits or 10 options for data sets and you let everyone vote. But instead of saying, okay, the number one voted one, that's what we trained it on. You use the votes to determine proportionally how much you train. Number one option that won got 60% of votes. Therefore, that's going to be represented and weighted 60% proportionately. Like that trade is represented, you know, is weighted 60%. That data set is weighted 60%. And you use it at the voting actually as like a weighting system as well. So there's all these kinds of use cases. I think for NFT creators, there's really cool things where you can have user-generated art, co-creation contests, remix contests. You know, an artist puts out their song into their community and then everybody remixes it, a jury of like top music producers votes in their favorite. And hey, if you lose that, you still got mass exposure from being able to participate in that. And the artist, meanwhile, is co-creating with their fan in this way that's really interactive and exciting. So there's just, I would say, a few of the kind of use cases where I think it gets really, really cool to think about what can be built beyond like the grants uh, governance framework. I think the cool thing about having all of this on chain, too, is that there's a record of your actions, whether good or bad, right? So like going back to your example about citizen journalism, I think citizen journalism is uh, a word that scares a lot of people is a f- concept that scares a lot of people because we can upload anything and you see fake news all the time because people are just talking about anything and making fake videos and things like that. But I think on the other hand, it's like if you do do something like that, that's linked to your identity on chain forever and people can see that. And so once people find out that David's wallet has created fake videos in the past and uploaded it and said all of this stuff that is clearly false then you've already ruined your reputation and people won't trust that anymore. And then on the flip side, it's like with your dating app example, like your preferences can be tracked over time so that your future matches on your dating app can be more customized to you and that you waste less time going on bad dates and have a higher chance of finding love. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be nice for me to know who else in my city shares the same taste as me. And like, yeah, I can go out to a bunch of movies and a bunch of concerts and a bunch of plays and a bunch of sporting events to like see if I see the same people and then go introduce myself. But like, yeah, it's this really incredible thing to to give people the power to build their own reputation. When you have top devs and the only way that they're building a reputation is Twitter threads, like that's ridiculous. Like they're not writers, they're devs. And so like being able to have the game fight hackathon, that's important. When you have people who are like living on the ground experiencing atrocities that no major media is reporting on and they have the ability to put that out there for someone else to write on it you know with journalism i think the journalists still are responsible for writing about this content in a way that is accurate and and checking it but there still can be massive influence on a grassroots level to say here's the content to consider here's what we want you to be thinking about here's what we want you to be reporting on that isn't getting reported elsewhere there are a few threads that you mentioned in there too that reminded me of a thread that you put out after Dev Connect in Istanbul about some of your learnings there. I know you were recently there and then even more recently, you just got back from Art Basel in Miami and had some learnings there. I'm wondering what are some of your biggest takeaways from both of those events about the current state of crypto and the future of crypto, like what we should be looking for in the future, where we're headed, just give people like a pulse on wh- what's going on. 
I think the number one takeaway is that we are digging more and more into edge cases of problems to try to improve the technology because we are so totally in the mode of having spent 10 years having to improve technology for anyone to use it. It's this interesting thing if you look at venture backing of apps versus infrastructure because they come in cycles, right? And so some of the greatest venture funds that had the greatest successes were because they were investing in apps because no infra deal would let them in because infra was really hot. This is like 10, 15 years ago. So they went to apps because apps were considered to be absolute bullshit. Nobody thought that there was any investment there. And of course, they made a fortune because it was at the low point, right? And then the opposite happened 10, 15 years later. Now we're in a big infra mode. And so infra has been so important for us to build out. And we saw that in 2021. I mean, mainnet fees just make this a totally prohibitive system for anyone who's not an extreme whale. And I think the reaction to 2021 has, has twofold. One has been, well, embrace that. Embrace building for whales because that's who the market is. We can create digital scarcity. We can have NFTs. We can create art markets that are just for these really rich people who have made all the money in the ecosystem and want to keep supporting it. And they're the ones who are beholden to trying to like prop up this ecosystem. And they're the only ones here. And everything plus a fortune. So like lean into that and build for whales, right? And that's been one big, big takeaway. You look at Blur, you look at Frentech, like these are all really successful for building for whales. But that's as big as they can get. They can only go that far for whales. They can never reach mass consumer adoption beyond that. The other reaction that you could have to 2021 is to say work on the infra. And so there's been incredible development over the past two years. It's been probably the most exciting time in, in crypto history for development of infrastructure. And it still is. The stuff being worked on now, like in intense-based architecture, fully homomorphic encryption, state proofs, like all this stuff is really, really cool and will be massive unlock. And it's going to create new business models. It's going to be important for what we're building, et cetera. But I think what gets lost in both of these two options of saying build for infra or build for whales is to say, actually, the technology is good enough. Like actually, the technology works and it does what we need. And you can build really cool apps right now that you could not even build a year ago. And I would even say with Jokers, some of that tech is not stuff that we have implemented yet. Our roadmap is long and full, and it'll take us more months to be able to actually implement this so that we can give our users the, the full advantages of all this technology as well. But it's there, it exists, and it's out there. And it's just like, I, I think we're continually building towards edge cases in the technology to say, okay, well, we haven't solved intent, so let's solve this so that we can get much greater automation. And that's cool. Like, we should do that. Like, that matters. That's so important. And we say, like, we can't historically compute all the data on the chain because it's overwhelming. But if we have state proofs that can attest to a previous computation, then all we have to do is build on top of that. And that's really cool. Like, that's going to enable stuff like retroactive public goods funding, stuff like that, too. I love this stuff. I'm totally in favor of all that infra, and I think it matters, and I think it's important to, to have that focus and continue having that focus, but not at the expense of realizing it's good enough. The tech is good enough for mass use cases right now. Like, you can build mass social on Web3 right now in a way that you could not do before. And, like, say what you want about Frontech. I just did, right? I have lots of issues with the model, and there's so many ways you can criticize Frontech. But it is something that people are able to go and use. And it's pretty easy to use, right? And it's like, that is new. That is new in Web3. To have any sort of application besides swapping on Uniswap that is easy for everyone to use or buying NFTs, for anything that's not just strictly buying and selling, like to, to actually be able to do that on chain, is totally new. And, you know, crypto people come in ways. And so everyone who has made a massive fortune in crypto has been here for the financial applications. They're probably not that excited by the social applications of this. That wasn't the original intention any more than the degeneracy was the original intention of Satoshi. 
But it's an absolute failure on our part not to embrace that and embrace the actual markets that are already being built by artists and by people building reputation that are there, by people building incredible scalable apps, and to realize this is a massive unlock and this can crush Web2. And everyone wants to dig down and try to say, oh, we need one more year, just one more year of building tech. And we don't need one more year. We're there. This works. We can use it. I don't know how many of you know this about me, but my path to podcasting in Web3 was actually quite nonlinear. From being a lawyer to a travel blogger to a podcaster and so many other little things in between. Because of this convoluted journey, I've always struggled with how to tell my full story via traditional means like a resume or LinkedIn bio. And I always felt there was so much context missing from these mediums that probably left any potential client or employer reading it totally confused about who I am or what I can offer. So while I absolutely love certain aspects of being self-employed, like being my own boss and being able to set my own schedule, there are other aspects that have been a constant source of frustration, like the fact that existing apps and tooling don't seem to be built for self-employed people at all. That's why I'm so excited about Quest, a new platform that lets me record all of my contributions on-chain, decide which projects I want to showcase, and take control of my professional identity. To follow along with our rehash quests and check out my profile, you can sign up at quest.com slash DC so you never miss an episode and create your own quest profile today. One question I hear people ask a lot is, you know, we had DeFi summer followed by this NFT craze followed by sort of like a DAO summer type of thing. What is going to be the next thing to come when the market comes back? Is there one thing like Web3 social or media or something that you see as coming back as the next wave? Or do you think the next wave is crypto going to the mainstream and just broadly yeah. consumer apps? I mean, I, I, I kind of think maybe the best historical comparison is to think about like TV versus movies in some ways. Like when television comes in in the 1950s, it does disrupt cinema to a great degree. The way that people go to movies, they watch double features with a ton of shorts, that all disappears, right? You go to one movie now, it's a big event. You go with your family. And streaming kind of has the same effect 60 years later on movies as well. But movies don't go away. They're still there. They still occupy a place for people. There's just this alternative media that can do all of these things that couldn't be done with movies that people are now into for that reason. And I, I think that's kind of the relationship of Web3 to Web2 in some ways. Web2 will change. It would be great to see Web2 adopt crypto rails. But monetary models aren't built for that. I think Web3 comes in much more like television in the sense that it can build its own use cases that simply were not possible. And at first seemed very niche. At first, feel like this is a slight convenience that you get to stay at home instead of going outside. But the quality is worse, right? And that's kind of where we've been. Like we've been at a stage of like early TV where it's like, well, now it's in like shitty black and white and it's only half an hour and it's not that good and it's like very cheap, but it's more convenient for me overall to be able to do this. And that's kind of like remittances. And then it gets to a point, right, where it's like, well, actually, TV becomes really incredible. And it, and it just has the scale to be able to do 12-hour shows that movies can do. I think that's kind of what crypto is to Web2 in some ways. We've been operating under a mode where it's been worse, but more convenient. And now we're getting to the point where actually, it's just as good, but it's something else. And I, and I think those mass crypto use cases are what's valuable here. Yeah. So uh, going back to your takeaways from Istanbul and yeah. Miami, what are some other big takeaways you had? Well, to, to, you know, after hitting on Infra, to talk about Infra, 
Carolizable EVM is a really exciting narrative right now. Personally, I, I mean, I, I love Solana. I think Solana is really great technology. I really okay to, like to back up real quick and set the stage. I guess two quick things: yeah. parallel execution. That's a buzzword that's going around right yeah. now. What does that mean? Yeah, I'm gonna get and then that. following yeah, yeah. up. Okay, okay, get into that, and then give us a little background on Solana too, because at least for me personally, Solana was kind of like something that I just mainly ignored yep. back in the day. Yep. And now that Solana's back, it's catching my attention again. And I'm trying to actually get back into it and figure out what the hype is. I've owned Solana since uh, early 2021. I've, I've liked Solana since early 2021. I've written positively about Solana since early 2021. It, it's a great ecosystem. It's great technology. Parallelizable execution is one of the great innovations of Solana. Probably, you know, the way I would try to explain it is like, if you are sequentially lining up every single transaction to execute one after another, think like you're in airport security and there's only one person to check you in. If one person has like a giant bag that needs to be checked, you're waiting as long as that bag takes to check, right? Parallelizable execution is almost like now there's two bag checks where it's like, if one starts taking a long time, there's another one that can go faster, right? It's basically turning a one-way highway into a two-lane highway. And so it, it, it's amazing. And that's part of the innovation of, of Solana. Part of it well. So the goal of it is to speed up transactions, to scale yeah. better, kind of the same goal that L2s. Yeah. And Ryan Watkins has this amazing piece he just put on Solana where he shows how many transactions per second you can get from Solana. It's like 55,000 transactions per second versus like anything within the modular stack is like getting 1,000, you know, 4,000, something like that. So like on a, on a throughput level, it's just, it's amazing. But it is in the SVM, and the SVM is arguably a much better VM than the EVM. But it is a, it is not. Why, where the why users is that? Are. Why do you say that? Because it's in Rust, which it, it has, yeah, I don't know, has these capabilities. But the EVM is where the users are. The EVM has the network effects. It's easier to use. It has all these other smart contracts that have been written. The documentation is already there. The users are already operating in the EVM as well. It's easier to whip up a chain. It's easier to whip up a project in the EVM, and then security as well is actually a big point of this. If there is a bug in a language itself, that is dangerous. And so the fact that we have just had all these hacks is weirdly a very good thing in the sense that those are all very expensive audits that have made this space safer. So we're now at a point where you look at hacks that are going on, they have to go deeper and deeper every time. They have to get more and more niche because the obvious stuff has been taken care of. And we're now at a point where like to even find a way to hack, it's really, really hard. And that's a sign of how much safer it is to work within the EVM as well right now. So there's all these reasons you really want to use the EVM. And that's why I build the EVM. Frankly, I love Ethereum. I love Solana. I love Cosmos. For me, it's, it's not a purely ideological move. I think Ethereum, frankly, has just as many centralization vectors and concerns as Solana does right now, if, if not more. But it is about being able to reach users and being able to reach chains and go where we can actually reach people um, who can use this. And so the idea that you can, you can have parallelizable EVM is really exciting because you get a lot of the technological benefits of Solana with a lot of the network effects and you know some of the ideology and community of, of Ethereum as well. So Say is working on this and Monad is working on this. I think those are both both really exciting. So yeah, I would say that's something I'm, I'm really excited by. Verichain is almost variation of this where it's a Cosmos project building an EVM. And so you get a lot of the Cosmos ecosystem, but now brought to the EVM as well. And this whole move towards EVM is really interesting. I don't think this will actually happen, but there's this wild future scenario where every EVM is one and everyone is building a solidity you know, in, in the Ethereum virtual machine. ETH is one. ETH is the digital currency of the internet that everyone is using. But Ethereum mainnet, nobody's using it all. They're going elsewhere for settlement and data availability. And so you have a ghost chain, but its currency and its virtual machine are, are totally dominant. I don't think that's actually what's happening, but but you can sort of see that, that there are some trends there that, that are interesting. Yeah, I mean, we, we had Hudson Jameson on earlier in the season yeah. from the Ethereum Foundation, and he was saying 
sort of like along the same veins, like in the future, you're probably only going to use Ethereum mainnet for your most important, like big transactions, but your day-to-day yeah. transactions, minting an NFT, like doing all of these things, those are all going to take place on L2s or on, I, I don't know, parallel chains yeah. or whatever, but not on Ethereum mainnet. So yeah, I don't think it's like too wild of a prediction. And I, I should add Polygon is also is also a big player in this too, in terms of parallelizable UPM as well. And I'm very, very excited to see what they're doing. I mean, I love all the L2s. I work at all of them. They're great. And, and I think like, What's really cool with the L2s is that the battle they fight is not just about technology, it's about ideology. If they're able to draw a certain type of user, that user will draw their friends, right? And so there's a way that an L2 is a social network that gets really exciting. And that's been really cool to see. Like, I just have huge respect for, like, optimism base. Those teams are just out there with artists. They're grinding. They're meeting with actual users when very few others are. It's great for the ecosystem. It's also great for them because they're creating a values brand that will draw a lot of people into them and create liquidity. It's really, really important for their operations too. And so I, I think it's really important to remember that every chain is as much a technical experiment as it is an ideological experiment. And the chains that are leaning into the ideology are just as exchange, exciting as the, the chains that are leaning into the tech. It's, 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 it's very cool to watch both. What types of projects are you most bullish on succeeding in the next year, let's say? Good question. What, what are my options? Anything, anything and everything. I mean, I think yeah. recently, like we've seen a bunch of projects shut down and a lot of those were in the Dow yeah. tooling space. Yeah. Right? So I think the last wave that was hot and like quickly not hot was probably Dow tooling, I would yeah. say. So I, I'm just curious, like what, and, out of everything that you're seeing being built, what are you most bullish on? This is a, the lamest answer I could give and one that I don't even know if I like this answer, but effectively Uniswap and Coinbase at this point are something like the Google and Microsoft of crypto. They own every part of the space and they will continue to own every part of the space and they will compete in some points and they'll acquire at others. But everybody should be watching Coinbase and Uniswap. It's a boring answer to give. They're, they're the big players. They're obvious. They've already won. But those teams are really effective and they're really good at getting good people. And they are both massively innovative and they stay relevant for a reason, which is that they know how to move with the times as well. So boring answer to give. Uh, Ave, I think, is also like this too. The innovations are not necessarily going to happen at this point at a new company level as much as it will happen within big companies that can add new features to continue to draw users that they already have, I think. There will be, of course, be great new companies as well. A lot of them will probably get acquired. There's great stuff happening in social. There's great stuff happening in DeFi right now. I would even argue there's great stuff happening in DAOs. But the really exciting stuff from that, a lot of those will end up in some ways collaborating or working with some of these bigger players. So that would be my contrarian take <laughs> to, to where we are. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I think people like to shit on Coinbase for being boring or whatever. But I think what we've seen in the last year or two is that it sometimes it helps to have adults in the room. I mean, you know? look, there, there's a lot I don't like about Coinbase on a personal level. The contracts with ICE is something that I think should absolutely be called out a lot more. The political milk toastness, like, it can be effective in some ways, but it's uninspiring. And others, the position that they have as senators, there's a lot of reasons I think that Coinbase deserves to be criticized, and it would be healthier for our ecosystem to criticize it. And none more than the centralization vector that they represent in terms of controlling liquidity and, and effectively in some ways off-chain. At the same time, Coinbase has done absolutely extraordinary work in supporting artists, technology, etc. So, you know, as, as a, the famous tweet once said, you do have to hand it to them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, I, I can't end this episode without talking about all of the cats you met in Istanbul. I, mm. I know that was a highlight of your time there. You put out a tweet talking about all of the networking you did at Istanbul with all of these different street cats. So I have to ask you, if you had to rank 
these cats that you networked with and met in Istanbul. Yeah. How would you rank them? And who would you most want to hire as CEO of Joke Race? Yeah. So it's important to remember that cats are non-fungible, meaning there, there, there is no way. They are, just like humans. Yeah there, yeah. there is no way, you know, to quantify. If you want to answer this question, the correct thing to do is to create a contest and have people compete. Because what I will tell you is there is no cat that is bigger than our cat. But when you do a contest to see what cat is preferred, what you will reveal is not which is the best cat. What you will reveal is the taste preferences of the humans who vote on it. And there's an important sure, thing to sure, always sure, remember sure. with context sure, as well. Yeah, absolutely. It says more about the person deciding than it does about the thing being decided on always. And that's, 100%. that's about so it. So we'll right. do a contest. How about this? We'll do a contest on the cats, but you have to give us the background on the cats. So tell us about each cat, their traits, their personalities. Their that, also, that also sounds like great contest to do. You know, each one we do like a contest on like, you know, what's its backstory, what's its trait. We create an NFT collection out of these cats over the next, you know, 50 years of world building through contests. We found the ideal use case. This is the one. This is this is it. All right. Well, real quick, just tell us your favorite cat. I'm going to, for people watching on YouTube, I'm going to throw the images of the cats on the screen. Yeah, I, I, I have to create a credibly neutral contest platform. I can't be picking favorites, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, love all cats. I love all cats. This is bad content. All right. I'll give you one chance to redeem yourself. Tell us the best joke you have right now. I'm still really, really happy with, I think, the joke that probably won the, the canonical joke console race. So this, the whole project started with a contest for bad jokes to try to, you know, tell this second best joke. And I think the one that won the first week um, is one that's just always stuck with me and it just has a special place in my heart. And uh, I mean, let me try to recite it properly. Have a sip hmm. of water, clear your throat. So, up if you need to, stretch <clears> your legs. <throat> So did y'all, did y'all hear about uh, the buffalo that had to send its child to, to school? No, I haven't. Oh my God. Do you, do you know what this buffalo told its child when it was sending it off to school? I can't possibly imagine. No. What did he, what did he say? So the buffalo is sending its child off to school and the buffalo looks at his child and says, bye son. Play an audio clip over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the joke that won? Well, we're out of time. Otherwise, I do have some like depressive, you know, and politically problematic 20 minute jokes passed down to me from the pogroms and my family. But I think we'll spare those and we'll go with the uh, one. Yeah. yeah, we'll save that for the next one. or We'll save that for the rehash offshoot therapy podcast. Sounds good. Sounds good. Some jokes deserve to be off chain. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Last question. This is one from the community. That was, this is the third time you're asking my last, the last question. Yeah. What? Well, the How's cat thing was going to be the last okay. one, but you didn't give me an answer. You haven't been giving me good answers. So I'm going to keep asking you last questions until you give me a good answer. Okay, so last one. I'm going to give you three questions submitted by the community and you can pick one to answer. Great. So the first one is, what's your favorite crypto drama? And tell us all about it. Submitted okay. by Meg Lister. Cool. Second one, also submitted by Meg Lister. Who would you invite on the podcast next season? And then finally, third question, estimate your success rate in your attempts to crypto pill your off-chain friends and family members. Paint me a word picture of your average attempt. Submitted by Floppy Abe. Oh, okay. I'll go with that one. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Zero percent because I would never tell anyone to get into this ecosystem. <laughs> that's exactly what Maria Paula said. She's like, I wouldn't do anyone like that. Yeah, I want to keep my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want to be friends with them. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, is, is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Okay. And that was my final question. So last thing, tell people where they can find you if they would like to connect with you personally and follow your juicy tweets. Yeah. Uh, and feel free to plug away 
even more at anything junk yeah. race related. Yeah, I'm at divine underscore economy on Twitter. I write at davidphelps.substack.com, which is where the actual good stuff goes. Hopefully, hopefully good stuff goes. And joke race underscore XYZ is our Twitter. Its DMs are open. So if you ever want to do a contest, um, throw one. You can honestly just do that on the site in three minutes. Anyone can, can create a contest. But you can always shoot a line there too uh, and have it be in touch. Perfect. Thank you so much, David. Really appreciate you stepping in last minute and appreciate the conversation as always. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rehash. Rehash is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Diana Chen, and sponsored by Quest and Lore. Rehash is also supported by our community of NFT holders who curate our guest lineup each season. To get involved, head over to our website at rehashweb3.xyz and collect this episode as an NFT. Anyone who collects an episode becomes part of the Rehash community and will be able to nominate guests for future seasons. To learn more about how to become a guest on the podcast, go to rehashweb3.xyz slash podcast. And to learn more about sponsoring the podcast, go to rehashweb3.xyz slash sponsor. Finally, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at RehashWeb3 or on Lens at Rehash.Lens. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.